Thank you. Thank you, Elid. Silence. Good morning, one and all. How are we doing? It's become my token little gesture. Matt made fun of me last weekend for saying it. I will continue to say it. How are we doing? Good. Thank you, Alice. It's great having other faces, isn't it? Service well, very clear. Um, it's great to be with you this morning. For those that don't know me, my name is Santino. I'm one of the pastors here of the church. I've already seen many visitors coming in, so if I didn't get the opportunity to speak to you as you came in, as Ali said, I'm going to be over at the welcome area afterwards. I'd love to get to know you a little bit more. It falls to me to preach this morning, and I want to, I want to be bold in starting. I feel I have a message from the Lord for us. For us as a church, I feel it's a pastoral word. I feel it's going to build on what Julian has begun to lay in terms of be, being led and directed by the Spirit. But we're a church, okay? We need to equip ourselves. We need to develop ourselves. We need to mature in Christ. So I'm going to unravel what this looks like as we, as we get into it. If you have your Bibles, can you turn to James... That poor little one doesn't have his Bible. Someone give him a Bible. Sorry, little one. Okay. You're going to find James towards the back of the New Testament, just after Hebrews. So if you get to Hebrews, keep going. The next book after Hebrews. I just want to give you a little intro James is a very practical book. Unlike uh, other areas of Scripture, now, don't get me wrong, all of Scripture, all of the Bible, this is our authority, it's all God-breathed, okay? It's all useful for us. It's all helpful for us. But some of it is a little hard to digest at times. You need longer. The thing I found with James, he calls a spade a spade, and whatever you read, you think, I think I know what to do straight away. James is a very practical book and I think for us as believers it's our instruction. James encourages us to be doers of the word, not just hearers. And I think many of us at times can be hearers of the word but not doers. So if you look through James it will challenge you to the core. We're going to pick it up in chapter 1. And I'm just going to be focusing on verses 2 to 4. The title, as it's come up behind me, is The Sovereign Lord is My Strength. You don't see those words mentioned in this passage, in this text of Scripture, but I'm going to, I'm going to take us on a journey this morning. This is found in Habakkuk, where everything goes wrong for Habakkuk, but he's able to say, The Sovereign Lord is My Strength. So James 1, verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's in the NIV translation. Listen to what it says in the message. I love this. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come from you from all sides. What an unusual thing to say. 
You know that under great pressure, your faith life is forced out into the open and it shows its true colours. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its full work so that you, so that you may become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your abiding, everlasting word. I thank you that it is a lamp to our feet, it is food to our soul. I thank you it is ultimate truth. It is our authority and we come under it this morning. I pray you teach us by your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you reveal Christ through this message. I pray for those that don't know him this morning, that they'd come to a saving faith this very morning. I pray for those that do know him this morning, they'd see him even more beautifully. But Christ, will you be exalted here this morning for your precious and good name. Amen. Now, this particular text, this is what I feel on my heart. This morning, I'm going to be talking about trials of many kinds. Suffering. It's a great topic, isn't it? And I understand that it is a huge, huge topic. A huge topic. But what I do want to do this morning, I'm not going to answer every question. I'm not going to answer... It's not really focusing on the kind of alpha-y question, why does God allow suffering? I'm looking at how do we walk through suffering? Okay? How do we walk through it? I'm not going to answer every question in the time we have this morning. What I want to do is leave us with a greater biblical framework, what the Word of God says about how we suffer as followers of Christ. And hopefully, if you don't know him this morning, how you can know him this morning and then join in on this adventure. Now, this particular text in James has been highlighted to me over the past year or so in many, many ways. And I would often at times, very arrogantly now in my spirit, feel, oh, let me share this word with you. You're suffering. Let me share this scripture from James for you. And what I've realised the Lord has been doing in me as he's actually been preparing me for trials through these verses. It's funny what God does. When it comes to trials and hardships, I think we can be naive as a people. I think we can be naive, undertaught. I think sometimes we can just be absolutely blind to what it means to follow Jesus Christ, to follow him fully. What it means when we can join with Paul when he writes in Philippians, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. (laughs) Fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. They didn't hear me. We can often talk about, like I said, with Julian... We, 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 we need to hold the two in tension, okay? We hold the two together. The power of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the tomb. But equally, we share in his sufferings. And I'm going to take us on a journey. This morning, my aim, like I said, is to leave us with a biblical understanding, being informed through God's word, empowered by his spirit. 
So my points are these. Trials will come. Trials will test your faith and trials will ultimately mature your faith. So let's, let's get going. Point one, trials will come. James writes here in verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Imagine that, Richard Wilson, you are facing great trials at the moment and you get a letter from me, your brother, and I say, Richard, consider it joy. Consider it joy that you've just been run over by a bus. (laughs) Consider that a sheer gift from God. What an unusual thing to say. Consider it joy when I lose my job. Consider it joy when I pick up this illness. Consider this joy. What sort of trial is James referring to? Well, probably persecution. Throughout the history of the church, followers of Jesus Christ have faced all kinds of persecution. From basic Mickey taking, I don't want to undermine that because it's nasty, to execution. It's all persecution. But James says here, trials of many kinds. So this is probably encompassing them all. Now becoming a Christian, listen up. Those that are maybe on Alpha, those that have maybe just done Alpha, those that have been a Christian for 50 years, becoming a Christian doesn't guarantee you an easy run through life. Silence. It doesn't. It doesn't guarantee that everything will go well for you. There's a false gospel that's preached and I want to reveal that and I want to hold it up to us and say beware of it because it's not the gospel. It says come to Jesus for a pain-free, debt-free, problem-free life. Come to Jesus and he'll make everything okay for you. If only you had more faith. If only you had more faith, you wouldn't be in these problems. That is not the Gospel. God has made everything right in Christ. He has made everything right in Christ. In John 3.16 it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In Romans 5.8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we, while we were still sinners, let that lay over you again. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Christ died for you. Jesus is the hero of history. They've just cheered about it. At the cross, he has given salvation for those to turn to him in faith. He has forgiven our sins. We've been brought back into relationship with God. We have peace with God. We have eternal life. As glorious, as wonderful, as mind-blowing as this all is, Jesus never, ever promised a debt-free, problem-free, sickness-free, pain-free life. Jesus says himself in John's Gospel, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. 
Hallelujah indeed. Until Jesus returns, until he returns, we've sung about it, Ali alluded to it, that one day he's coming back, friends. One day he's coming back to make your frail body whole again, to take away your cancer, to bring those who have fallen asleep in him back. One day, one sweet day, that's going to happen. When he returns, everything will be wrapped up. But take heart. The fact of life is we live in a broken, sinful, painful world. Just looking around this room, I'm aware of the many disappointments, the heartaches, the pain, the confusion, the loss. I'm aware of it. I'm a pastor of the church. I'm aware of it. I've cried with many of you. And we cry together, right? We cry as we walk. Take heart, for he has overcome the world. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus does some teaching. I told you, I want to inform us through the Bible. Jesus teaches about people building their houses. In Matthew's Gospel 7, Matthew chapter 7, 24 to 27, Jesus speaks to two builders, a wise builder and a foolish builder. The wise man builds his house on what? The rock, which is Christ. He's referring to God, to Christ. And the foolish man builds his house on the sand, which is anything other than Christ. Then the storms came. This has been a profound thing to me while I was preparing for this. The fact of the matter is, the same storm hit both houses. It wasn't because you're building your life on the rock that the storm doesn't crash on you. The same storm hit both houses. That's what Jesus is teaching here. It wasn't that the rock was left alone. Many of us hold a karma-style mentality. If I'm good, good will happen to me. And if I'm bad, bad might happen to me. So if I'm good, if I read, if I study, if I do good stuff, I won't get ill. Things will go well for me. That's not what the Bible teaches. The same storm hit both houses. God, through his word, wants to make us aware that trouble comes, that the storms of life crash on us and crash around us. So don't be, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised, Christian, that things come crashing down. That it seems like the world is just on top of you. Prepare for it. Prepare for it. Build on the rock that is Christ. I want to give you some biblical examples. David, famous uh, hero in the Bible, David, he made some horrendous mistakes, didn't he? He was a hero of the faith. He knew suffering. His enemies wanted to kill him. His own family, his own friends wanted to kill him. It's the equivalent of us, me and Paul, Matt, taking you down somewhere and you feel actually, we're not too convinced by this, we're going to stone you. That's what he faced. Israel wanted to stone him. His own people wanted to kill him. Then we see Paul in Acts. Let me read this to you very quickly. When Paul, the persecutor of the church, is called, this great apostle, this is what Jesus says to Ananias, who's going to go and get, get Paul, go tell this man, 
He's my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles, whoa, and their kings, and before the people of Israel. What a dream. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then we see uh, later on in Corinthians, I want to read these because I hope they're powerful truths for us. Later on in Corinthians, this is Paul. I've worked much harder than all of you. Imagine me standing here. I've worked harder than you, Matthew Skimbury. Much harder. I can't say the rest of these though. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 14 lashes minus one. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once stoned. Three times shipwrecked. I've, been, I've spent night and day in the open sea. Imagine that. I've been in uh, constant danger, in, in, on constant move. I've been in danger from rivers, whatever that looks like. In danger from bandits, whatever that looks like. In danger from my own countrymen. In danger from Gentiles, from the city, from the country, from the sea. In danger from false brothers. I've laboured and toiled and I've gone without sleep. I know hunger and I know thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And beside all this, I face the daily pressure of all the churches. There's a man familiar with suffering. Jesus himself, our great example. He was tested in the desert. He was abandoned. He was mocked. He was punched. He was kicked. He was spat at. He was punched in the face. And then he was executed. For you and for me. Personal example. There's some biblical ones. Personal. Uh, a few months ago now, a friend, friend in the church, a guy called Steve Tippett, who has a pretty sharp prophetic gift, he came up to me in the back of a prayer meeting and he said, I don't quite know how to share this word with you, but I'm going to. I feel that the heat is about to get turned up in your life. I, fe- I feel you're about to go through some hardships. I feel that the Lord is putting you in a crucible but it's for a purpose, that you're going to be refined by fire so that you reflect more of God's glory. You reflect more of Jesus. Thought not much more about it, but Steve, if you're here this morning, it's been a word that I have come back to time and time again over the past few months. Within the space of nine months, I lost two friends. One was killed at work, just along the ridge. He fell off some scaffolding. So I got a call later that afternoon to tell me that he'd uh, fallen, which is horrific. And the one closest to home was just a few months ago. Where um, I lost a friend on his motorcycle, Sophie's brother, just along the ridge. And it's been a time of testing and stretching but I'm going to share more of this story through this word. So, trials come. Personal trials come. Personal trials come. What are your trials? What are you facing? I've held up some examples. There are many examples. Is it persecution? Is it temptation? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it a relationship tension, separation? Is it something going on at work? Is it your health? 
Is it your wealth? Something happening with your finances? Is it problems with addiction? Is it an area of sin in your life? What are you facing right now? I love this great quote, you only need to live long enough to experience pain. I'm 35 years old and I feel like I've experienced pain. I look out there, but I know many of you have experienced much more pain. So trials will come. Prepare for them. I want to quickly move on to point two. Trials will test your faith. Verse three, James says, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The goal is perseverance. I love this. The English dictionary definition of perseverance is the the steady and continued action or belief, usually over a long period of time and especially despite difficulties and setbacks. I feel this is the biblical definition of perseverance and I, I added this in. A steady and continued belief, trust and hold on God over a long period of time, through all seasons of life, and especially despite difficulties, trials and setbacks. Now that's perseverance. For the Christians, tests and trials will come, and they will come to see whether you will persevere under pressure, great pressure at times, and they will reveal in you whether your faith is of a genuine nature or not. 1 Peter 1.7, these have come, these trials have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though it's refined by fire, it may be proved genuine and it may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. I found this great quote by a man called William Barclay. Make, life makes many attempts to take away our faith. Things happen to us and to others which baffle our understanding. Life has its problems to which there seems no solution and its questions to which there seems no answer. Life has its dark places where there seems to be nothing to do but hold on. Faith is always a victory. The victory of the soul. Listen to this. Which tenaciously maintains its clutch on God. Tenacious. Don't you love that word? Tenacious. A clinging tightly to something. So tightly that it's difficult to loosen. Difficult to shake off. Difficult to pull away from. Now most trials make no sense at all. Why on earth am I going through this, God? Why didn't you step in? Why didn't you intervene? Why couldn't you have done this? Why why did they have to die? Why did they suffer? Faith is to be tenacious. Faith is to be tenacious. Our faith is to be tenacious. We need to have a persistent, determined, stubborn, may I say it, like a dog with a bone style mentality when it comes to our walk with God. I I want to underpin us today That's my intention. Like I said, it's a pastoral word. I want simple truth to underpin us today, to prepare us that when storms come, when battles are are there before you, you've got a faith that is stubborn. That's like a dog with a bone. 
Have you ever seen a pit bull with a bone? Careful not to look at anyone when I say that. Have you ever seen a dog that just wants that bone? We see biblical examples. Who wrestled with God? Shout it out. What did he say? I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And then God broke his hip. (laughs) We need a tenacious style faith. Please, church, friends, it's not going to be easy. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm going to get to the how-tos I feel that we can work on. Can I encourage us as I'm speaking and preaching to myself? Let's be like a dog with a bone. That whatever storms come and crash on you, be stubborn, be persistent, be uh, determined, be tenacious. I want to give you some very real, raw, painful examples of some real tenacious faith under great pressure. A few months ago, uh, part of our family churches, a pastor was killed from... uh, from one of the church, churches in Dagestan. Uh, I want to read out the email that myself, Paul, and the office received here. Let this sink in. I'm once again, this came from New Frontier Central, wherever they are. I'm once again deeply saddened to write to you of the tragic news. A week before, they sent us another email to say the youth pastor from one of our churches was killed in a car accident. Trials. I'm once again deeply saddened to write to you of the tragic news. Artur, who leads the New Frontiers churches, group of them, in Dagestan, in the Russian Federation, was shot and killed yesterday as he left his church office. Artur was married with five children. He was in his car, and someone came up to him and shot him through the window screen. He was martyred for his faith. Persecution of the highest degree. His wife was asked, where could we put you into safety? Where would you like to go? We'll put you anywhere. This is the information we were told. And I think her words were, I was born here and I will die here. There's much more work to be done here. At the graveside of her murdered husband, she forgave his killers. That's a tenacious faith right there. Apparently, Artur saw over a thousand Muslims converted, saved, and added to the Church of Jesus Christ. What a hero. Amen indeed. Another one from our group of churches from Lowestoft. Phil and Heather Stoddart, many of you will know this story. They've written a, Phil's written a book, A12 to Heaven. They lost two daughters in a car accident in 2006. A12 to heaven. I want to read you an extract from the church. Listen to this verse. The two girls had grown so close to each other, it was almost as if they had been travelling on parallel roads that had now converged. One night, they were travelling together on one road. It turned out to be a narrow one that led straight to heaven. Listen to what the church wrote. On the tragic day of the car crash, Phil and Heather invited us, their wider church family, to walk with them. So many unanswered questions. These seemed inappropriate and unnecessary to ask as we began supporting this remarkable couple and their family. We soon realised that they would never be the same and neither would any of us. We were all affected forever by this event. We are not the same. It is a significant part of our journey 
We believe somehow we are richer in God, more able to be used by him, more able to affect people's lives, seeing clearer the eternal significance of all we are as a church. We've become more compassionate, more real, more vulnerable and more broken by love. And this is what the father said. These girls were 18 and 15. Phil said only days after the incident, once you've been broken by the love of God, nothing else, despair, Anger, pain, bitterness, nothing can break you as there's nothing left to break. Through our various trials and pain, we have a choice. Like I said, it's not going to be an easy one. It's not a question of just pushing off the pain, but we have a choice. We can either tenaciously, being determined, grab hold of God or we can let him go altogether. There is no amount of faith, I want to be clear on this, there is no amount of faith that will prevent the storms coming. It is the faith you have that will carry you through them. Okay? There's no amount of faith that will prevent the storms coming. It's your faith that will carry you through them. Once you've been broken by God, there's nothing left that can break you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is what these girls received. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. But listen to verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. Church, you greatly rejoice in all that Christ has done. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. I want to remind you of a famous scripture that Jesus himself said in John, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So will you persevere knowing that the sovereign Lord is my strength? So trials come, trials will smash on us and they will test us, they will test everything in us and then point three, trials, given the opportunity, will become our way of maturity. Trials mature faith. James writes in verse four, perseverance, The persevering journey we're on must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Trials become our roadway to maturity. That's where we're taken. That's, if you like, our spiritual gymnasium. How many of you have learnt from suffering? How many of you have learnt if you leave your car door open, something might get nicked? You learn from things that go wrong, don't you? You learn. I'm very, I very rarely, when, when I do things right, I learn from them. Whenever I make a mistake and someone tells me that was a howling error, I think, I'll learn from that. God's plan is that we persevere until the end, until we pass through from this life into glory. That's God's intention. 
that we persevere until the end. That's what we believe here in the persevering of the saints. Okay? That we persevere till the end. Until we pass through or until Jesus himself returns. God wants us all mature in Christ. This last point, these last few uh, segments, if you like, is really to wrap everything else up and then we're going to respond in worship, we're going to sing, and I want God by his spirit to come and minister. But just a few more things. We're not to be a stoic-style people. Do you understand what I mean by that? We're not to be a people that says, let's just pretend it's not happening. Let's, not, let's, let's just sweep that under the carpet, stiff upper lip, head up, chin up. When I told one of my friends that I grew up with that Russ had died, he said, chin up, mate. It wasn't anyone from here. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to correct anything, but I'm not a stoic-style person. And the Bible doesn't teach us to be a stoic-style people. It's not a stiff upper lip. It's not, let's sweep it under the carpet. The pain, that's called stupidity. That's just stupid. Please never just sweep your stuff under the carpet. Why do you think God places us in a family? We carry each other's burdens. Yeah? We encourage each other. It says in the Word, when one rejoices, we all rejoice. When one weeps, mourns, we all do. Is there something of that in you? When Vera's dear son died, who wept? We're not a stoic people. What we do, you don't ignore pain. You, how can you ignore pain? My brother once said to me, he's, he said, pain is just weakness leaving the body. It's a funny thing to say, but it's, oh, it's not. Pain is pain. What we need to do is we pick up all our troubles, we pick up all our pain, and we carry it to Christ, our Saviour, our Redeemer our comfort, our joy, our strength. And we say, look at all this pain. Look at what I'm carrying. And we place it at his feet. The one who's familiar with our suffering. We don't carry it on ourselves. We don't carry our own burden. Jesus wants it. We share in his sufferings. We fellowship with him in his sufferings. We commune with him in our sufferings. We get our face in his face in our sufferings. Please. Please do that. Learn to do that. I was saying to my wife, I get so burdened by need at times. I cannot save any of you. You cannot save me. I want to love you more than I do. I want you to love me more than you do. But Jesus saves you. Jesus heals you. Jesus redeems and forgives you and he comforts you and he will bring you joy and strength. Holy Spirit, will you come? This is, I've uh, said that and I pray you'd minister to hearts right now for Jesus' glory. Sometimes we cry, sometimes we shout, sometimes we just don't know what to say at all as there are no words. When we found out about Russell, I was with Sophie and the rest of the family I was there when Sophie was told and it was the most horrible day of my life so far. There were no, no words, Sophie, were there? 
No words. What, what, what do you say? You just hold each other. I know I'm holding up quite an extreme example. Through your job, your finances, there's sometimes no words. Sometimes it's just a hug, just an ear, just a shoulder, just to bring truth, just to say, look at him, the saviour. Sometimes we just sit quietly and rest in him, rest in God, draw close to him. Ask the Holy Spirit to be your guide. The Holy Spirit's role is to comfort you, to bring strength, to bring peace and joy. I believe that God can underline and will underline work through everything we go through in life. The simple daily trials that I seem to have, I haven't suffered as many of you have. The daily trials that I think, oh, my life is crashing in around me. No, it's all right, you've just missed the bin, man. (laughs) It'll come again in two weeks' time. As well as the most horrible and horrific events. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in... How many things? All things. God works for the... of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I also believe that God is with and he surrounds us through everything. Psalm 125, verse 1 and 2. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. The title of this message has been The Sovereign Lord is My Strength. Understanding God's sovereignty will help us walk through trials. Understanding God's sovereignty will help us mature in Christ. I'm just going to quickly whistle through these, okay? What does sovereign mean? God's God's sovereignty means that he is the supreme ruler, controller, the ultimate power of everything. He is the absolute and permanent head of the universe. That's what his sovereignty means. And he is the absolute king of kings and lord of lords. He holds everything together. Not just a few things, not just the Christian style things, everything together. The Bible says that as well as being in control of all things, he is fundamentally good. His nature is good. Tenacious, persevering faith worked out in our lives will look like this. When a widow of a murdered pastor can stand and forgive those killers, that's forgiveness. That's faith. When parents of two teenage girls killed can stand and forgive that drunken driver, that's tenacious faith. When you lose your job, when your finances go, when that friend lets you down or mocks you, when relationships break down around you, when people leave you or let you down, when temptation strikes you, when fear and anxiety grab hold of you, when you get sick, when someone you love gets sick, when someone you love gets hurt or dies, when you can work to a place that says no matter what this situation is, God is in control. He is good and he will carry me through this. He is enough. God is enough. Once you've been broken by God, there's nothing left to break you. Lo and behold, I've run out of time. I knew I would. I had so much material here, but I, I, I really feel that we need, to, we need to respond. I'm just going to say four very quick things before we respond. 
part of our response, I've asked John Mason to come and share his story of what God's been doing in his life lately. But before we do that, I just want to say, how do we find this joy? Very quickly, consider it pure joy, my brothers, sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Okay, Sam, how? The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not a superficial happiness, it's a deep joy. Knowing what God has done for you, that he saved you, that your soul is well. Experiencing God's everlasting and unconditional love. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Thirdly, trusting in his faithful word. No matter what I think, God will never leave me, nor will he forsake me, nor will he abandon me to the grave. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Evidence of joy is being filled with the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. So I'm going to pray. Let's be open to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. And I just say, Lord, less of us and more of you. I pray. Could I invite the band up, actually, while I'm praying? Holy Spirit, come and minister to our hearts. Come and do whatever you need to do this morning in each of our lives. We come from different backgrounds, different cultures, different upbringings. We are currently in different circumstances and situations in life. And I just pray, whatever my dear friends and visitors here are facing right now, I pray you'd come and minister to their hearts. Come and minister to their hearts in Jesus' name. As we worship you, Lord, I pray you'd take off burdens, you'd loosen shackles, you'd heal hearts, you'd comfort those who weep, you'd comfort those who are struggling, and you'd bring strength and joy. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. What I'd love to do before Nick leads us in worship, John, can you quickly come and share your... uh, Is this on? What I'd love to do is if we can listen to what our friend John here has to to say, and I want this to fuel our time of worship. So I'm going to hand over to Nick, and then let's see where the Lord takes us. Most of you who attend the church regularly will know that 50 days ago, my beloved wife went to be with the Lord. And in the natural, I'm utterly devastated. I relied upon her very heavily, both for companionship, but more than that, for her spiritual wisdom and insight and guidance. I really, in the natural, am utterly devastated, but... Over this period of time, I have genuinely known a peace that really passes understanding. It does pass understanding because it's not natural. In the natural, I'm, I'm, I'm shattered. But the peace of God has pulled me through this whole period. For the, for the last seven weeks, I have known that peace that has enabled me to do everything that I need to do and to, and to be on top about it. And in addition, every time I think about the Lord, and that happens several times each day, every time I think about the Lord, I, <laughs> I begin to chuckle. 
and and when I'm with others, uh, it's just a chuckle. But when I'm on my own, that turns into a real belly laugh. I, I, I could control it, I could stop it. But why would I? It's, it's a, an indication of the joy of the Lord that I really do experience. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And I know that. I, I, I'm just being carried through. You know, uh, you probably know the story of the footprints where the sufferer looks behind him over the period of his life and he, he sees two sets of footprints. But there are spaces where there are only one set of footprints. And, and he realizes that at those were the times when he was really going through the most awful sufferings. So he challenged the Lord about it. And he said, why did you leave me when I was suffering? And the Lord turned to him and said, those times when you see only one set of footprints, those are the times that I carried you. And that's what I have known over this period of time. I've been carried through. Long may it continue. But I, my brothers here in the church tell me that I'm an inspiration to them. There's no credit to me about it. I, I'm just receiving it. I, I'm, uh, all the credit goes to my Lord Jesus. Praise God. Shall we respond? Let's stand on our feet, shall we? We're going to come and worship. Let me just round us up. I'll just